When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies, like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Go behind the wheel and under the hood on everything automotive with high-speed stuff from howstuffworks.com. Hello, thanks for tuning in. Welcome to the podcast. As we know by now, I'm Ben, and I am hanging out here with HowStuffWorks.com's own Scott Benjamin. Hey, Ben. How's it going? It's going pretty well, man. Hey, good. you're still the auto editor, right? Uh, correct, yes. Oh, good. Yeah. Good, because <laughs> otherwise this would be kind of awkward. Yeah, it would. I mean, we could still hang out, but, you know. Talking about cars, just Yeah, out. we'd just be like, yeah, we'd just be hanging out. Mm-hmm. And how fortuitous it is that you're still the auto editor, and I still have questions for you, uh, so let me give it a shot here. Uh, you know how whenever you see a car commercial or whenever you hear something from a consumer guide about a vehicle, oftentimes they also include the estimated miles per gallon or MPG. Sure, yeah, they do. Um, usually it's broken down even into city and highway miles, um, if you notice that. And there's a reason for that. That's uh, That's from very uh, detailed testing that happens in a lab, uh, it's actually a government agency that does that. Uh, yes, the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, yes. and they're in charge of, uh, you know, we hear a lot about them from uh, miles miles per gallon is one of, actually one of the things that we might not be so familiar with them doing because a lot of times they're associated with pollution control or with uh, supervising the contaminants or the pollution or the the waste disposal practices of uh, businesses and, you know, Superfund sites and things like that. Yeah. But they're also in charge of MPG. That's right. They, um, they're not necessarily in charge of it, but mm-hmm. they are um, the government agency that does the testing that um, um, actually gives us the rating numbers. Um, so, manufact- you know, we associate the numbers that we see in a window sticker on a new vehicle, mm-hmm. um, city and highway miles, and then kind of a combined average. Uh, that those numbers are the result of very, very specific tests that are run by either the EPA or the manufacturer themselves, and we can talk about that in a second. But um, huh. now, manufacturers often run the same tests that the EPA runs, 
mm-hmm. and the EPA verifies the numbers. That's well, kind of how that works. Okay, I see. So the EPA almost does a, a control or a quality control check. On yeah, they some do. Of that. They're, they're they're taking a sample of vehicles. Um, I think I, I read somewhere that it's like 10, 10 to fifteen percent, which are actually confirmed by the EPA. Uh, okay. um, but it's a, but it's a, a good sample. It's a uh, representative sample, and uh, they're pretty accurate because you know manufacturers don't want to come out and claim something that's just way off the charts because mm. of course the EPA will verify it and say, no, sorry, you're you're making this up. You know, you guys are lying on this one, um, <laughs> and you know that that just wouldn't last too long. So it it's um, you know in the best interest of the manufacturer to mm. you know actually actually do the testing in the exact same way that the EPA would do the test and come up with a, numbers that make sense. Okay. All right, real world numbers, I should say, real world numbers. Oh, right, because as we know, the caveat that we always hear on this is actual mileage may vary. That's right, your actual mileage may vary, and that's uh, that's something you'll see in just about every um, automotive ad, every print Mm -hmm. ad. You'll hear it on the radio. Um, You'll hear it it from dealers. Yeah, that's right. Um, You know, it depends greatly on how the person drives. It depends on um, climate conditions. It depends on um, atmospheric conditions. Sure. You know, if, if the if the air is more dense, if it's humid, um, your altitude determines mm-hmm. mileage. Mm-hmm. There's just an unbelievable amount of factors that determine actually how many miles per gallon you get. Oh, talk about that real uh, the very strange one that you had told me about earlier before we went on to to do this episode. The amount of gas in your gas tank. Yeah, you know what? We were thinking about this. We were talking about this earlier, and. This hadn't occurred to me really. Maybe maybe we had mentioned it in another podcast. I'm not sure. In, uh, but, hypermiling. Yeah, but now that we're talking about mileage, this makes sense again. Uh, yeah. So so bear with us here. But sure. one one gallon of gasoline weighs six about six point three pounds, and this is according to FuelEconomy.gov. Mm-hmm. Um, so if one gallon of gasoline weighs six point three pounds, if the tank is getting lighter as you're driving, it seems like your gas mileage would improve mm-hmm. as you get closer to the end of the tank. And now that's probably not you know any you know, outstanding, st- you know, statement that somebody would say, wow, you know, I never, ever thought of that before because sure. I'm sure a lot of people have thought of that. Um, a lot of people don't fill up their tank just for this reason. But if you if you think about it, maybe a lot of people haven't really thought about this because, and I've got a little example here, but if you've got 14 gallons of fuel mm-hmm. in a tank, which is, I guess, kind of standard. I don't know if it's average or what, but yeah. uh, if you multiply that by 6.3 pounds, that's 88.2 pounds of fuel that you're carrying around. Mm-hmm. So when you leave the gas station, you're carrying 88.2 pounds of fuel. By the time you get down to a quarter tank of fuel in that same same vehicle, you're that which is only three and a half gallons, you're only carrying 22 pounds of fuel. So you've lightened the load there by um, what 66 pounds. Sure, that's a significant amount, and I would have to believe that that would increase your miles per gallon. So. The lighter weight your vehicle is, the uh, the better the mileage would be. And that that's just one great example of how many factors go into cal- go into an actual measure of miles per gallon on the road. Um, and when you're testing it, just like crash testing, you can't always count in every factor, and thus uh, actual mileage per gallon, actual miles per gallon may vary. But you know what, Scott? What we should probably get into. Um, riddle me this how does this testing actually work because let me let me be completely above the board with you um, sometimes we talk about these things uh, before the episode begins but right now I have no idea I am a blank slate <laughs> an open book okay Ben for the testing it's pretty simple really um, what they do is it's, it's actually conducted in a lab 
Um, all of the EPA testing is, is conducted in the lab, and they may, send that, may, they may think that it sounds like, you know, well, how can they recreate every situation in the lab? Well, actually, that's even better for them because it can control the situation exactly. Um, and the dynamometer is set up to produce uh, a certain amount of resistance, and it, it actually it helps them to do it this way. It's very precise. Mm-hmm. It's electronically controlled, and it's, it's exact. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's the name of this device again? A uh, dynamometer. Which All right, is, what, what does it do? It, I'm sure you've seen this before. You probably just didn't know what it was called. Okay. It's It's, um, it's the, the roller system that a vehicle pulls on top of so that the vehicle can actually drive without, or it can be, you know, run through its gears with the engine running, you know, everything the way it should be, you know, operating as if you're on the road, but the car's not moving. Vehicles, That's crazy. Yeah, you've it's, seen it before. It, yeah, well, I think sure I have now you say I just didn't know the name. It sounds almost like... A treadmill for cars. That's exactly what it is, except there isn't usually a running uh, a track under a, it. a track underneath it. It's more of a roller system, so mm-hmm. uh, the vehicle's kind of balanced between a few rollers. Um, it it's actually a pretty good setup in order way, in a way to do that, and they can mimic real world situations in the lab mm-hmm. almost. Well, I, I should say almost better, but yeah, in, when in case of like temperature and and um, I guess drag and things like that, they can mm-hmm. they can. Um, manipulate the the dynamometer in a way that you know it's it's accurate, maybe mm-hmm. even more so than than out in the real world with the temperatures and uh, conditions like that. Because you'd have wind and things like that to deal with that you don't there, and they can simulate all that in the lab exact. Yeah, and it's a smart idea too when you think about how far you would have to drive or how many different locations you would have to have mm-hmm. to get you know just something as simple as differing temperatures. Yeah, that's right, and, th- and being electronically controlled, this can be exact the first time and correct every time. So um, you know, it just seems to work out well. But what, I, I guess we should get in the test. Right? Yeah, that's reading my mind. What okay. kind of tests well, are they doing? Um, the tests that they're doing now, of course, they've got a now. If you've got a city and highway mileage rating, you know that there's a city and highway test, right? Yes. Well, very recently in 2008, they added three additional tests to this uh, to this this queue this um, this rundown of a routine of tests that they run vehicles through, and they added a high speed test, an uh-huh. air conditioning test, and a cold temperature test in 2008. Huh. Now, prior to that, now the t- these tests were developed in the 1960s, so they're based on kind of everyday driving in the 1960s. Okay, the first two tests. The, f- the first two tests. Yeah, we're just talking about city and highway. Okay. Uh, those were the only ones that existed until 2008. So the first tests were developed in, 19- in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Again, city and highway only. And those tests were the same tests that were used all the way through 1985. And so that's uh, what? That's more than two decades. Yeah, more than two decades. It could be as long. I mean, depends on when it was developed in the 1960s. Sure. I'm not clear on, on the exact start date, but um, in 1985 is when it received its first update. So they finally determined that, hey, you know what, maybe these are a little bit outdated. Let's adapt our test so that it's more real world. Yeah, I don't know, Scott. That seems that seems a little bit a little bit of a gap there because just between the 60s and just bet- really just between the 60s and 70s, there were so many innovations with uh, the design of an automobile. Yeah, it was different. I mean... 1985? 1985, yeah. And, you know, then it wasn't until, again, until 2008 when it was updated once again. So um, there's these long gaps in between. So, you know, I think that the new numbers are... Well, actually, the new numbers are more of a, uh, I guess, a better sampling of what Uh real-world conditions are. And I guess the reason here is that... and. 
This is coming from our article on our site. We'll talk about that in a mm-hmm. moment. But um, the reasons are because cars accelerate faster. There's more accessories that they're they're powering. Um, oh, so people yeah. have a lot of things happening inside their car. You know, they're powering. Sure. Um, they've got AC, especially AC. That's the big one, really, air conditioning. AC is the MPG killer. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. It is. It, it's, it's, well, maybe not as bad as you think, but it does, mm-hmm. it does drag it down quite a bit. And it's just something that, you know, the 1960s vehicles – you know, that, that just wasn't a factor then. They, sure. I mean, um, the other thing is that there are h- higher highway speeds that are happening now. Um, I mean, people yeah. are driving, not that people didn't drive fast. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that um, average highway speeds are a lot higher now than they were in the 1960s, and that's just what kind of what. Uh, that's a good point. Going on. So, um, for the most part, that's what uh, what these tests are okay. kind of adapted to, to um, well, adapt to. And, and from these tests, the EPA calculates miles per gallon per vehicle. Yeah, that's right, and they, it, it's it's actually really complex the way they do it. And okay. you know, we can talk about how they go through it. We won't go into great de- detail about it, but um, I can kind of run down what each test includes, and we can Perfect. just mention them, I guess, as we go yeah. back. Through, we can now, talk now about keep in mind before we get started. Mm-hmm. You know, I love a, a good list, um, <laughs> but this is this is really the the first time I'm hearing about this stuff, so. If I ask a question that sounds crazy, then then just tell me that's a crazy question and keep I am, going. Uh, I'm ready for it. All right, I'm ready for it. So go go ahead and uh, fire away whenever you hear anything. All right, you question, list right? away. I'll stand by. To now fire. these are the old. T- remember the two original tests, but they have been updated. They're they're, I guess, modernized. Okay. Okay. Uh, there's the city test, which is urban driving, of course, mm-hmm. and that starts with a uh, with a cold engine, and it's driven in a stop and go. And it's drive driven in stop and go traffic. Now, this is right from the fueleconomy.gov site. So um, these are the, the explanation of their tests. Uh, there's the highway test, which is a mix of rural and rural. I have a hard word to time with that word. <laughs> you know <laughs> what gets me is edited. I have a hard time saying edited. <laughs> <laughs> so a mix of rural and interstate highway driving. Uh-huh. Uh, the, engine's warmed, uh, the engine's warmed up, and it includes free-flowing traffic. So it does have some congestion, but um, sure. free-flowing traffic. Yeah. Okay. Now, we're getting to the three that were added in 2008. High-speed test. High-speed test. Very good, Ben. Yeah, you knew. Um, <laughs> good memory. And um, city and highway driving, that's what that includes. Uh-huh. Um, higher speeds with aggressive acceleration and braking. So that kind of sounds like uh, my daily commute, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds like what you deal with all around you. not saying that I do all yeah. this. I'm saying... I see this every day. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, Atlanta is. Yeah. We have a reputation for traffic. So. Yeah. Uh, I. You know. I don't know, man. Honestly, not to interrupt the list, but based on based on some of our past conversations, I could I could see you I could see you being one of the high speed testers. Uh, maybe. Maybe. But you know, it's a lab test. So I don't know how much fun that would be if you're. Uh, oh yeah. You're doing it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Anyways, okay. Air conditioning test is next. And it's just what it sounds like, using the AC. But that's when it's hot outside. And the outside conten- uh, conditions rather, are, oddly enough, 95 degrees Fahrenheit, which... Yeah. Yeah, which this week here in Atlanta, mm-hmm. it has been 95 degrees just about every day. Oh, it's going to be a long summer. <laughs> that's right. So the air conditioning test is something that I'm paying attention to right now. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then there's also a cold temperature test, which, again, cold outside temperatures. And that's in stop-and-go traffic. So hmm. that, again, makes sense. But, again, those are three tests, the last three, the high-speed test, the air conditioning test, and the cold temperature test were added in 2008. And prior to that, mm-hmm. not a factor. So your mileage was 
um, typically a little higher. Yeah, I was going to ask, how did this affect MPGs across the board? Well, across the board, it actually lowered miles per gallon in a lot of vehicles, Ooh. actually in every vehicle. Um, and again, I keep saying we'll get this to this in yeah, a minute, sure, but we sure. will. But um, overall, the fuel economy rate has dropped for all these cars. So um, just about every car, really. You know, and car can, makers did not like that. No, bit. no, they did not. Neither did car dealers because suddenly they have to advertise a vehicle that is the same vehicle that was there in 2007. Yeah. Same everything in 2007. Now in 2008, with the revised numbers, it gets lower miles per gallon, or it has lower mile per gallon rating. Ouch. That's got to be tough. Wah-wah. Yeah, that's <laughs> good. Yeah, that's right. And uh, in our article, we have an example of uh, the 2007 Toyota Camry. Uh-huh. So in with the old numbers, it had a 24 city and 33 highway rating, and that that's was 20. pretty good. Yeah, it's not bad. 27 yeah. combined. Um, under the new uh, testing regulations or new testing ratings, it gets 21 city and 30 on the highway, which is a 24 uh, miles per gallon uh, yeah. combined rating. I see where you're going. Yeah, so it drops three miles per gallon. And, and because a lot of times uh, Camry, Camry consumers are very aware of mile per gallon mm-hmm. ratings. Yeah, so. they're looking for an, af- an affordable car that is mm-hmm. also, you know, a, a, a miser when it comes to fuel. So, um, yeah, this has got to hurt them. I would I would think that, you know, overall, um, it's got to hurt everybody. But, it's it's again, it's it's more accurate, and mm-hmm. I think that this is a better... A better scale to judge everybody on because this is this is modern day. Sure, it's not it's not as though it, it although it's easy to look at it from the perspective of saying oh no they're lowering our MPG rating. What's actually happening is we're getting a more realistic rating. Yeah, right? correct. Yeah, and the thing is, it dropped everybody's at the same time. It wasn't like we're picking on one uh, sure you know, one segment or one manufacturer. It's it it's everybody. And again, I said it dropped overall for everybody, but um, mm-hmm. I believe that the percentage was that the fuel economy for all cars dropped by about, and this is just an average, sure. about 12% in the city and about 8% on the highway. Okay. And some, <laughs> that's not for everybody though, because that's an average. Okay. Some fell as much as 30% in the city and 25% on the highway, which I find pretty remarkable because that's that's significant. That's a big drop. Yeah, those guys, those, those vehicles must have been in just the perfect storm statistically. Yeah, I think so. I think so. So it really did hurt um, several manufacturers when it came to uh, the the new numbers. So now for our listeners uh, who maybe have a car that was pre-2008 and thought they knew their MPG, Hmm. um, now the question becomes, how do I figure out what my MPG rating is. You don't necessarily have to figure it out yourself, which is good. If you go to, there's a site called fueleconomy.gov. I've mentioned it a couple times. And we can't say enough good about it. No, it's actually a very good site. Um, of course, it's a government-run site. It's got a lot of great information about mm-hmm. fuel economy on on that site. And um, there's a lot of tools you can use. One's a, one's a, um, a calculator. Actually, yeah, there's one that calculates old fuel economy. So if you happen to know what your old fuel economy was mm. in the city and highway, you can you can punch in the numbers. Now, these are the numbers that were reported by the manufacturer, not what you recorded yourself at the fuel pump every time you filled right. up. But um, I'm talking about the numbers that were reported on your window sticker. Mm-hmm. If you were to input those numbers into a calculator that they have, they will recalculate them for uh, the 2008 standards and give you the new numbers. And let's also just point out, 
this is awesome because earlier we mentioned that the way the EPA arrives at these tests at at these numbers that that method can be very complex. Yeah, it's not it's not a simple it's not a simple matter mm. of uh, you know driving for three minutes and, and stopping and that's your uh, you know calculate how much fuel you, fuel you used. Mm. Um, the, the tests are actually pretty complex and you can get to them um, on the site. I've got I've got actually the the uh, the way you can get to the detailed information for the test if you'd like to hear it. Oh yeah, that's okay, cool. That's Lead us it. through. Okay, <laughs> so bear with me here. It's only three steps really, but but I think it's so valuable that people will want to look it up. I really do because. The information on the test is it's pretty interesting, and I think it'll give you a, a better glimpse into you know what we're talking about. And here. you want to know what's going on? Yeah, that's right. Everybody wants to know what's going on. So from from the homepage again at fueleconomy.gov, uh-huh. kind of scan down to the bottom of the page or scroll down, and there's a, a section called New Fuel Economy Ratings. It's near the bottom of the page. It's got a little uh, photo with it. Click on that link. That opens up another page on the left hand side. Select Fuel Economy Tests. And then that will open up, you know, a couple of subtopics below it. Um, there's one called detailed test information on the left-hand side, and that's where you'll get the information that we've been talking about today. Mm-hmm. That's and where you can take a, a close look at it. Sure, and you know, somewhere within there, when I, you know, mm-hmm. one of those pages that I just mentioned is where you can find all these different, um, you know, gas mileage tips, and you can compare vehicles. You can uh, you can report your own mileage so that you can, you know, help track the way certain vehicles are performing. Um, and it's pretty interesting stuff, but if you go to the detailed comparison, you can look up each test individually. Mm-hmm. I've selected uh, detailed comparison, and I've got kind of a rundown of every test and, and what's involved in the test and, you know, the average speeds, the idle time that, you know, that each vehicle spends, uh, maximum acceleration. It's got uh, the test duration, which is, you know, how long the test takes in minutes. Um, the other tabs actually do the test in seconds, which is kind of unusually, you know, like 1,250 seconds. Weird. Um, but here they've got it broken down to minutes and seconds. Uh-huh. Um, the number of stops was kind of surprising because, you know, you find that, like, for this, you know, the uh, city test, there's 23 stops involved. And okay. for the highway, there's none, obviously. But sure. then when you get up to the high-speed test, there are four stops involved, which I found kind of Weird. unusual. But I think that's because that of the, um, didn't we say something like a moderate um, traffic flow? Yeah. During yeah. the test. So that must be that. You know, if you're talking highway, mm-hmm. you may come up to a place where you have to stop. Um, yeah. Any interesting stuff. But if you look at the uh, the detailed comparison, that's a pretty interesting tab to check out because you know, it's a lot of information there. But uh, just take a few minutes to, to comb over it, and I think you'll get some good info. Definitely. Let's take a different approach in, in this situation. And let's say that we want to, uh, because we know that mileage on the actual road may vary Mm -hmm. let's say that we're a concerned car owner who wants to uh forego the internet and calculate the mileage for themselves oh yeah simple i do this all the time okay i really do um not every time but i do it often enough that i'm familiar with how to do it you you have to start with a full tank of fuel okay actually it's better you know it's better if you if you pull up to the pump and you know you're going to do this for the tank of fuel that you're filling right now is it okay quick question yeah. um do you have to have an empty tank and then fill it up or no. it just has to be full no it just has to be full okay. because what you want to do is you want to get your tank completely full and reset your trip odometer okay okay simple enough right to reset it to zero right there at the pump mm-hmm. the next time you fill up you no know, even if it's even if it's 10 gallons if it's if it's five gallons whatever it is make sure that you read the mileage in the in the trip odometer and then use the 
number of gallons that you pump into the tank at that time and make sure it goes back up to full again. That's, yeah. that's what you have to do. Uh, make sure it goes back up to full again. Uh, and then div- just simply divide the uh, number of gallons into the number of miles that you've traveled, and there you've got your, your miles per gallon. That's that's uh that sounds like it's pretty easy to it, do. It's really simple. I do it on trips all the time because you know you get a pretty impressive number usually. Mm-hmm. Uh, highway miles are pretty good. Yeah. Um, I was a little bit upset with my most recent one. I've got a Honda Civic, and I got <laughs> I'm gonna tell you I got 19 and a half gallons. Uh, or rather miles per gallon. You've got that the, AC on. For the man. last tank. That's, we were just talking about that. <laughs> you know, I just mentioned that it was 95 degrees here, yeah. and I think I've been doing a lot of idling while having the AC on in traffic, mm-hmm. and it's just killing my miles per gallon. So you can see how this this can vary so much because I, I'm accustomed to getting somewhere in the neighborhood of you know, 27, 28. Sure. Using the AC and being stuck in an idle situation, um, my mileage has gone all the way down to, mileage has already gone down to 19 and a half. Okay, and so if you're someone who has decided to calculate the MPG of your vehicle, uh, just for the extra information, why not go and compare it to the stats of your car manufacturer or the actual EPA stats on fueleconomy.gov? Because from what we're hearing, there will probably be some difference. Oh, yeah, there's always variance, and and I kind of like to do that myself, too. I like to go back because that's one one thing that they've done is they've – They've retroactively gone back. Or I don't know if that's the right way to say that or not. They've What's gone. They've, they've gone back to 1985 and adjusted every miles per gallon stat for the vehicles listed from 2000. I think it's up to 2010 now. Mm-hmm. So 2010 through 1985 have been adjusted for this new um, new testing format. So it's it's pretty interesting to take a look at it. So you can find you can find all the information you need. Yeah, really, I feel like yeah, I feel like we've got. We've got a pretty good handle on this, but there's, I, I, there's two things we have to do before, uh, before we can we can call it a day here. What's that? Well, first, I think that we should let's see. We got two things. There's a VW we could talk about, hmm. or there's a very interesting piece of listener mail. What do, What do you feel like? <laughs> let's talk about the VW first. How about that? All right. I'm familiar with that. I, I think I know what you're getting at here, but uh, go ahead and hit me with it. I've heard somewhere that there is a Volkswagen that is reputed to have 58 miles per gallon rating. Okay. Have you heard this? I have. I've actually seen the ad. Yeah, I have. Um, And I I guess I'm going to be a little tight-lipped on this, and I'll tell you why. Because I blogged about this on, I think it was Monday, June 29th. Mm -hmm. So it was about, what is that, eight or nine days ago? And what I did is I kind of dispelled the... uh, the myth, I guess, of this ad because there's getting it's getting a lot of press that you know here's this Jetta that's getting 58 mm-hmm. miles per gallon. It's a Jetta TDI, mm-hmm. uh, clean diesel engine, and um, I don't know. It's interesting. Take a look at the ad. Take a look yeah. at the blog post, and there's links to the uh, to the site, um, uh-huh. the commercial rather. And um, I don't know. I think you'll find it interesting, but it's it's pretty easy to come away from that ad thinking that uh, this vehicle does get 58 miles per oh, hour. Oh man, you caught me when I was saying I heard about it somewhere. I was talking about your blog. <laughs> you're, I knew you were a blog reader. I, I, I knew read. It. I'm sorry. I, knew it's, it. I read blogs. <laughs> that's good. No, don't don't be sorry for that. That's a that's yeah. a good thing. It's an it's sometimes I'll come across something that's pretty interesting like that. So I try to try to get that on there when I can. Hey man, I I, I love to read um, blogs books, well, stats. You, you know what? One other thing you should read, though, um, if if we're talking about um, EPA and the mileage and all this, yeah. um, we do have an article on our site that's also pretty good about this. Mm-hmm. Um, it is called How the 2008 EPA Fuel Economy Ratings Work, and you couldn't mm-hmm. get a more concise 
explanation of how these things operate because this was this was an article that was written just as these were changing, mm-hmm. and um, I think you'll find it pretty interesting. But it's it's really clear and it's uh, it's just straight to the point. So I think it's uh, it's a good read and up to date and up to date. That's right. That's awesome. Yeah. So you want to move on to uh, listener mail? You know what? Let's do it. All right. So here we have a, uh, a note from Brannon. It's B R A N N O N. Brannon. All okay. Right. And Brennan says that he just listened to our Auto Trends, uh, the past podcast, and he wants to mention that um, he lives in, where was it here? He lives in Okinawa, Japan. Okinawa, Japan? Okinawa, Japan, yep. Awesome. That's pretty impressive. We have yeah. a listener in Okinawa. Anyways, they, um, he says that they have a subtropical climate. In the summer, it's hot and humid all the time, mm-hmm. and you know, a lot of sweat. So, of course, you're in your car, and uh, oh, yeah. you, know, you sit in the seat, and it just gets real sticky stick and, into it. and gross. Yeah. Uh-huh. So he says that, um, you know those beaded car seat covers? I think we mentioned them during the uh, during We did. The we mentioned those on that podcast. Yeah, he said that uh, that is a way that they combat... Um, some of the, uh, I guess, sticking to the seat and the sweating because it allows air to flow between your body and the car seat, and that, that makes perfect sense. It's very functional. That's an awesome. That's an awesome point. You know, uh, we actually, when when we checked out this uh, email from you, Brandon, um, I I actually went and called some of my friends who live in hotter areas and let them know. And for our listeners out there. If you're sweating away right now on some uncomfortable seats, or if you're one of those people who walks by your car in the parking deck and cringe at the thought of having to jump in and give yourself a little bit of backburn, then uh, this might not be an auto trend of the past for you. You mm-hmm. know, now, I know I've seen them around here. I, I just, I guess, I never paid attention to why they were there. I thought maybe it was a therapeutic thing, like maybe it was, uh, you know, yeah. comfortable on your back. But it seems to me it would be the opposite. It seems like it would be uncomfortable. But right. I doubt it is. But now I feel like we get it. Yeah, yeah, it must be comfortable. I mean, enough people. Yeah. I've seen enough people with them that it must be of value. Yeah. So, Brandon, thanks so much for writing in. To our listeners, thanks again uh, for spending some time with us. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you have any questions about the EPA, MPG, I don't know, Scott, um, beaded seat covers, anything automotive related, please feel free to send us an email at highspeedstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. And be sure to check out the High Speed Stuff blog on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids. No plug needed. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. (laughs) You can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. 
No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.